0: You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. I am. I am. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Michael Lichens, your faithful editor and host with you once again. And today I'm very proud to welcome Mr. Jeff Cavins. He's an author uh, who has written a new book called When You Suffer, Biblical Keys for Hope and Understanding. And this is something I think has hit a lot of people. I had a chance to look through it, kind of preview the book. It looks very good, and I'm excited to have Jeff. So, Jeff, welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Good to be with you. It's our pleasure to have you. So, Jeff, you can just tell us a little bit about the book and what inspired you to want to write about it. Sure. Well, I think you know, first of all, the the the
1: topic of suffering is something that that everybody has to address at some time in their life, uh, to Mm -hmm. varying degrees, and they address it in a number of ways. Either they They uh, approach suffering with the attitude of, I'm going to run from it. I'm going to, number two, deny it. I'm going to blame other people for what's happening to me, or I'm going to self-medicate. But what people are really looking for is the meaning in their suffering. And if there is no meaning in your suffering, you can go into despair. But if Mm -hmm. there's meaning in your suffering, you can go through anything. And that's really what the the goal of the book is, is to show you that, you know what, everybody suffers and there is meaning in your suffering and that meaning is really found in christ
0: No, that's very good it's actually something we've brought up before on this podcast is that a lot of people struggle less with the suffering itself and more so they just want to know what the meaning of it is and that's my second question to you what do people what are they really looking for when they ask themselves the meaning of that because we hear that a lot and i don't know if we ever pause to wonder
1: well i think there's a there is a um a thought that people carry around inside of them, and that mm-hmm. is that that if God loves me and God has a plan for my life, and Jesus came and died for my sins and set me in a right plate, you know, placement with God, the Father, then why would I suffer? Uh, if he loved me, wouldn't he keep me from suffering? Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a very modern notion and uh to be honest with you, a very American notion that if God loved me, then I wouldn't have any problems. Of course, if you try to use that philosophy with raising children, nobody really does that uh, <laughs> because, you know, mom and dad, if you love me, you would get me what I want is basically what people are are saying. And that just doesn't happen.
0: Certainly. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there, especially with the idea of what some call the prosperity gospel, what I call viewing Jesus as your bellhop. Yes. <laughs> and I don't think anyone who's had enough experience can really see that. But is that what how most people
1: Well, yeah, I think, I think, I think that people equate God with a kind of catering to us and that if he loved us, he would make sure that we were comfortable and life would be a bowl of cherries Mm -hmm. and that we measure God's fatherly love by our provision and by our comfort, which is a very modern notion. But you know, the, the ancients, they asked themselves the question, you know, what is the end of life? What are, what are people looking for? And the answer was happiness. And to the, to the, to the modern mind, happiness is the absence of pain. It's the absence of suffering and it is walking in complete fulfillment. Well, the ancient form or the ancient notion of happiness by some of the great philosophers, Aristotle and, and others is that you become happy when you live a good life. And mm-hmm. so the modern notion of happiness places the average person in a, in a space where they can't win because a good portion of their life is a little uncomfortable or at, at, in the least it's inconvenient. And uh, at, at the, at the worst it's uh, debilitating. And so if with that, with that real modern notion of happiness, you can't be happy. And, but with the ancient notion, you can be happy even if you're going through tremendous Yeah. Inconvenience or tremendous suffering.
0: Go back to that a little bit. What is living a good life? How does that bring about happiness for people? Well, I think that when you live a good life,
1: you are living a life that is ordered to to what what you were created to do, what you were created to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about the theology of the body. You treat your body in such a way that you are living according to truth. Uh, you're married, you're living according to truth. You are single, you're living according to to truth. And uh, we were created for God and to enjoy God. And, and the way we do that is we walk according to his will. And so w- when when we walk according to his will, we can really sense his joy. And, uh, and his peace, his, his shalom. Mm-hmm. It's when you begin to walk contrary to God's will that this inner plumb line in your life, this, this balance inside, as Saint John Paul II called it when he wrote about sin is out of whack. And uh, and you can you know, I'll, I'll give you an example a lie detector sure. lie detector test you can sit there and look at a camera and lie with uh, you know s- staring straight at the camera you might look like you're calm you might look like you're collected but we put a lie detector test on you which is going to measure uh, blood pressure pulse and sweat and we ask you the same questions, and you look cool as a cucumber, but that graph is going crazy because everything inside of you is rebelling and shaking because you're not meant to walk in sin. You're not meant to walk in in lies. It's when you walk in truth that you become the person that you were really created to be, and that's not a blood pressure of 180 over 110. That, <laughs> that is to walk in peace. In uh, So, when we walk in peace and we walk in according to God's will, we can participate in his joy and we can be the recipients of that happiness. All you have to do is look at the, the Beatitudes. Happy are they, it says, Ashrei in Hebrew for happy. We say blessed. but The, the mm-hmm. word in Hebrew is, is Ashrei, happy. Happy are those who are persecuted. Um, so, the, the Beatitudes themselves give you this contrast that the happy people are people that experience a bit of tension in their life and some things that are going on that they wouldn't necessarily invite, but they're happy in the midst of it.
0: Some very nice things to think about, especially thinking about what how the philosophers kind of support the teachings of Christ in a weird way, which is always something that delights me. To move on, I wanted to ask you something else. We're in the season of Lent, obviously, and how can our suffering help us to unite Ourselves with Christ, and maybe even as we like to, you hear it a lot in galaxy circles. Participate with Christ right. in His suffering,
1: right? Well, one of the phrases that used to be more popular—it's not so much now—is the phrase "offer it up." Yes. And uh, when I was growing up, "offer it up" from my mother meant "get out of the kitchen; I'm cooking." <laughs> um, you know, go offer it up. Take your problem somewhere else. Really, the 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 understanding of suffering—the key to it—is really understanding your relationship with Christ. If we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, we see that suffering comes into the world as a result of original sin. We see that pain and suffering comes to Eve in childbirth, and Adam works the field and he sweats, but out of that comes bread. And so right away we see the result of sin, but there's something that is remedial about the suffering that Adam and Eve go through as a result of original sin, and that is that they experience suffering. But when you think about it, Eve, as a result of original sin, she experiences pain in childbirth. But what happens at the end of that pain? It's fruitfulness. A child is born and that pain is forgotten. That's a little life lesson right there about uh, suffering when it is joined to Christ and we, we look for that fruit in our, in our lives. Of course, there are two types of suffering. There's, there is physical suffering. And there is what's called moral suffering, which is the suffering of the heart, the emotions. But there's also two two uh, kinds. There's kinds and types. There's temporal suffering, and then there is what St. John Paul II calls definitive suffering, which is uh, to be without God forever and ever and ever. It's complete lostness forever. That's a definitive suffering. Now, Jesus utilizes physical and moral suffering and temporal suffering here to deal with our definitive suffering. In other words, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and his son sacrificed himself willingly for us to purchase us, or better put, redeem us, and to bring us into his family to deal with sin and to give us faith, hope, charity in our souls. He did everything but it came through suffering and that's what love is. love is being willing to lay down your life for a friend so then we come to our part there are and you sort of alluded to this earlier Michael, with the uh, the health and wealth gospel oh yes there are, there are two ways of looking at this participation. one is Jesus is the one who is going to judge. Jesus is the counselor. Jesus is the physician. He's the intercessor. He is the one who suffered for the sins of the world. He is the one who died for the sins of the world. So then what's our role? Well, according to some of those Gospels out there that you'll see on TV, our role is nothing other than receive, receive, receive all the benefits of Jesus. Well, the problem with that is it's not in the Bible. <laughs> yes. In fact, in the, in the Bible, it says if you want to participate in the glory According to Peter, you have to also participate in the suffering, and so the, the that first idea is completely wrong in terms of our participation. The second, which is uh, biblical, and I might add, it's also the Catholic view, is that yes, he did all those things. He is the judge. He is the counselor. Mm -hmm. He is the physician. He is the one intercessor between God and man. He's the one who suffered for the sins of the world, and he's the one who died for the sins of the world. Yet, he now sees us as his body, not metaphorically, but in reality. We are the body of Christ, and that means he's going to share all things in his mission with us. That means that we, is, is he the, the healer? Yes. But he will call us to lay hands on the sick and pray in his name. Is he the counselor? Yes. But he will call us to encourage each other. Is he the intercessor? Yes. By all means. But he will ask us to intercede for others in his name. Is he the one who suffered? Yes. But, but listen to what Paul says. Paul said in, in Colossians 1.24, he says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And I fill up in my body that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. So that's a very powerful statement. He's saying that we are going to participate in what is lacking in his suffering. Now, right away, you would ask, well, what could possibly be lacking? Yes. I mean, did, did Jesus rise from the dead and go to the right hand of the father and 20 minutes later do a, uh-oh, McFly, you know, <laughs> type of deal? I, I can't believe it, father. I, I just realized we only got 98%. And I guess they're going to have to fill up the rest. Well, that's ridiculous. That that didn't happen. So what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Well, the answer to that came in two ways. One was uh, through St. Augustine, who asked the question. The other was St. John Paul II, who asked the question, what could be lacking? And St. Augustine said, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ is the lacking of the mystical body's participation that's what's lacking and so we have a part to play and that comes to the second explanation of saint john paul ii he said what's lacking nothing but that you might come to know the love of god he has made room in his suffering for you to participate in other words the opportunity to suffer gives you the opportunity to participate in divine love and to know what it is to love and to give yourself that is the value. That is the gold. That is what I call the heavenly coin that we can spend on other people, as St. John Paul II said. So the key is being in Christ, Mm -hmm. not a decapitated situation where the body is separate from the head and simply studying ideas, but we truly— are participating in his mission and in his power and in everything he did.
0: That's wonderful. That's one of the better ways I've ever heard it expressed, Jeff, I have to tell you. And another great thing I think about when people who might be new to this concept of uniting your suffering to Christ is I once you start to practice it, once you start to really get into it, the love you feel that God has for you is unbelievable. And I don't, it's like, I mean, I can't even begin to express it the first time you start to feel it as like suddenly everything begins to kind of make sense. Chester compared it to going into a dark cave and coming out standing on your head, and it's like, oh, this is how the world looks now. Right. To move on, I uh, wanted to also ask you, is there also a purpose for suffering that you see and that is helpful within Catholic teachings or psychology or anything like that? Are there different purposes that can kind of help people to understand, make sense of their suffering? Well, I,
1: I think so. You know, I I interviewed a, a psychologist a number of years ago on mm-hmm. radio, and I asked him the, the question, you know, why do so many people struggle in the United States? And we seem to have everything. We're the richest country sure. in the world. We have everything within 50 miles of our house. We can pretty much purchase anything we dream of. What's the problem? And he was very quick to answer. He said, it's very easy. He said, "We we don't know how to suffer. Ah. So elaborate on that. And he said, well, when we suffer physically or morally in our heart, uh, we don't know what to do with it. And so we internalize it. And oftentimes it it manifests in very unhealthy ways. And so one of the advantages that we have as Catholics is that when we are having a less than ideal day, or whether our life comes to a halt with a a devastating family uh, tragedy, we have somewhere to go with it. We don't just carry it ourselves. We offer it up in union with Jesus on the cross. In other words, this suffering goes somewhere Mm -hmm. and we leave it with Jesus and the meaning is there and, and we can find the satisfaction in that, in that meaning. But once again, it's not just metaphorical. We actually are doing something with our suffering and that suffering is actually doing something. And, and when you do that, you find meaning and, and you, you don't have to dance with despair, but you can, you can, um, you know, rejoice in the fact that you got to participate in this. And there's good news, you know, this isn't going to go on forever and ever. Sure. There's going to be, there's coming a day in heaven, hopefully, that there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more crying. And uh, this chapter will end. But until that happens, We've got work to do, and life is life, and difficulties come. Uh, and and we as, as Catholics should be the people that everybody else is seeking out because we seem to have answers that they can't figure out and they want to know.
0: Penultimate question to you, Jeff, is... What advice would you give to somebody who is trying to help a friend or something like that, who is going through intense suffering at the moment? What's a good approach as Catholics to help those folks?
1: Well, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I think about that every time I go to the hospital mm. to visit somebody, and I can do one of two things, and or I should say one of three things. <laughs> one is I can go in there and just give them what I would call hallmark theology, Oy. and and hallmark theology is very very. Uh, <laughs> Sweet and, uh, and and not very powerful. And you know that sometimes when somebody loses a son or a daughter, people come with Hallmark theology and in an attempt to comfort them, they'll say things like, "Well, you know, God must have needed another angel in heaven," or "or God picks the prettiest flowers first and brings them to heaven to welcome the rest of us." And that's all. Uh, there's a Hebrew word for that, baloni. Okay, that is not. <laughs> that- <laughs> that is not true at all and that that actually doesn't comfort people people who have lost children and others come and say well god needed another angel uh would like to hit those people oh yeah because if god you know if god can create angels just with a thought in a spoken word he doesn't need to put my daughter through this to create another angel so we got to stop with the the hallmark theology mm-hmm. so that's number 1 i don't go into the hospital with that um if i did i would joke about it but i certainly uh, don't typically do that number 2 you can go in with a theology lesson that's very dry and to the point and that usually doesn't do it i think it's a combination of comforting people letting them know that yeah suffering is difficult it is difficult and and that you're there with them and christ is with you and uh, encouraging them you know in the midst of their suffering and one of the ways that you can do that is to say let let me just take just a few minutes to remind you of what you have the opportunity to do here by offering up your suffering and and this is not to deny that you are suffering or to trivialize your suffering but as a friend i want to help you make the most out of it and when i say that to people i'm usually met with uh, a real warm embrace of thank you for helping me try to find meaning here because the when the pain is on and the um uh, the pain medication is not working real well. I need to search and grab a hold of meaning and Hallmark hasn't cut it. And I need truth. And that's, that's where I think you just take a few minutes. And I would encourage people to rehearse, if you will, what would you say in light of what we've said today? In light of my book, When You Suffer. I give some advice in the book, by the way, mm-hmm. but you know, rehearse it. Come up with your elevator speech of, of, of what would you say to someone? who is really suffering and they need meaning. Uh, they don't need Hallmark. They need meaning. And and that's a good thing to do and be prepared to do that. And I think you'll find when you share with people like that, not only do they get meaning, but you you've gained a
0: friend. Certainly can. And I just have to say that I think Hallmark Theology is my new favorite phrase of the week. So thank you for that, Jeff. <laughs> All right, a vital question as we wrap everything up. Jeff, if folks want to learn more about you or your new book, where can they find you? Sure.
1: you can. Uh, my website's jeffcavens.com, jeffcavens.com. And um, you can get the book at uh, Catholic bookstores. You can get it at uh, Servant. It's published by Servant or Amazon, any of the major major carriers. You know, it's the type of book where you might want to get one for yourself, but if you know of anyone who's suffering, you might want to get a couple copies uh, because it's very practical. The theology is practical. And then we give a lot, I mean, a lot of practical advice of what to do in the midst of suffering. And we cover all the way from an inconvenient day to devastating tragedy.
0: Very good. And it is, I agree with you 100%. It's very practical. I was... People send me books all the time on suffering, and I just got to tell you, I want to say about 90% of them would be better off uh, being a paperweight or starting a fire for my fire heat. But this was actually very good and practical, so I do encourage folks to get out and read it if they can. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And we'll put all those links up, but Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been a great pleasure to talk with you. Oh, it's been my pleasure, too. Thank you. Thank you. And for anyone else who is listening, you can go to com. We'll have links to Jeff and his books. And then his website is com. God love you. Have a wonderful week.